Cretaceans is all about allowing interesting people the opportunity to share their opinions and ideas. Some listeners may find the opinions and content expressed disturbing and or objectionable. company, um, you, you learn very quickly the uh, value of, um, of helpers, of people who, when they're helping you and you have uh, a group of people that are willing to uh, pitch in and, and help move stuff, you, you learn the value of that very quickly. Um, and so I'm learning that now. It's Labor Day weekend, uh, and it's in the age of COVID. And so between trying to get my... Um, my academics done for the medical school, trying to uh, make sure that I'm on top of things for the military, trying to do all this stuff and still keep rotations up and running. It's a challenge. It is a challenge. I found out uh, just this week, uh, actually a couple days ago, that basically my entire week is gone. I'm going to be living out of my camper uh, while I do mandatory training for a trip to Kuwait next year. Uh, and and so I'll be doing everything remotely. Um and then it's back into it again, and it's just, it never ends. And then there's going to be this light switch in a couple of years where I'm retired from the military. And I, I don't know what I'm going to do with all the all the free time. I, I, I don't, I have no idea. My, it has been just consecutive problem, uh, uh, movement to the next task for so long. It's going to be a really weird adjustment having to go to something different or uh, a more sedate life. Not sure how that's going to work. Uh, we're getting ready to talk to Bryant Giles, who is a, an ophthalmologist, and it's part of the specialty spotlight portion of rotation. So medical students and, and people who are thinking about different specialties who try to interview folks and find out why did you do what you did? You know, why did you do what you did? And um, what do you regret about it? And what would, it, what, what would you do differently now that you know about the things you did? And uh, I should just say that uh, Brian is a, is, a, is a really nice guy. He's just a really super nice guy. We'll get into that about how I ended up meeting Brian. And, and uh, we'll talk about AMOPS in this, the Association of Military Osteopathic Physicians and Surgeons, an organization I've been involved with for quite a long time and that does a great job for networking of military medical students. Uh, that is, students who are going to go serve in the military, either in the National Guard or the active duty, uh, typically, they're on a scholarship of some sort or will be receiving a scholarship in the case of the National Guard after they, after they graduate to pay off medical school. And so we're going to talk to Brian specifically about why he chose to be an HPSB scholar. And hopefully that will give some people some insights about the benefits of looking at the military as a way of helping to subsidize the cost of, of medical education if you meet the qualifications to enter the military to do that. And I think you'll enjoy it. So I'm going to tidy up a couple of things and then we're going to call... Uh, Bryant and see if we can see if we can carry on this week is about why 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 do we become an ophthalmologist what 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 has ophthalmology got for me that say obstetrics and gynecology don't so uh, with that I'm going to try calling Bryant right now just give me give me a sec your call cannot be completed at this time please try again later that's not encouraging in este momento no se puede realizar su llamada 
Hey, sir. Hey, Brian. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm, I'm fine. How are you? I'm so, you know, I really appreciate you doing this on your Labor Day weekend. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so this is going to be an interview about ophthalmology. But it's also going to okay. be an interview about U.S. Army ophthalmology. And it's going to be an interview about why does someone go into the Army to be an ophthalmologist or to be a doctor and hopefully educate medical students and pre-meds about what it is that's interesting about your specialty, right? Sound mm -hmm. good? Absolutely. Okay. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do about 30 minutes, then we'll take a little break. I'll count us back in, and then we'll, we'll do it again until you, you, you're totally exhausted or we reach, we reach three, <laughs> three segments, and then, and then uh, it goes by pretty fast, Brian. So I think if you, if you need a break, just tell me. We'll stop it, and then we'll, we'll put it together. And I, the way it's going now, I th think this will show up probably, hmm, depending on how the world moves. We're probably looking sometime in November or December. Okay. Make sense? You Absolutely. You ready to go? I'm good. Okay. So again, you guys know who I am and you heard me call Brian and uh, Brian, listen, why don't you tell, why don't you tell us who you are and where you came from? Absolutely. So my name is Captain Bryant Giles. I'm a, um, a fourth year resident at Brook Army Medical in the Army and um, I have, as I'm finishing up my last six months here in training. Um, a little bit about my background. So I grew up in Texas. I went to school out in um, at BYU. After a year of, of undergrad, I did a two-year church mission on Spanish and came back and, and taught Spanish for a little bit as I was finishing up my undergrad. Um, I met my wife. We got married out there. And we went to Georgia PCOM, um, Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine, Georgia campus down in Suwannee, Georgia for medical school. Um, Somewhere between there, had a couple more kids and started residency out here in, in San Antonio um, three years ago. Um, we now have four kids, and we absolutely just love life. So you went to school way down upon the Suwannee River? I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, is your wife a Provo girl? Is that where she's from? No, so she's an Army brat, so they lived all over the place. Um, she went to high school in... Uh, in Alabama, so she claims Alabama, but really, medical school um, was a it was a big location thing, especially just having having a, a child and, and being nervous about being able to start medical school and take care of kids and family. Um, we kind of let location guide a lot of, of our choice, and so that was closest to her family, which which turned out to be a huge blessing for us. Mm. So I have a thing because I'm a fan of the U. So I'm wondering, and I know how you guys down, down. Yeah, I know how you guys down there at BYU look at the U. But the U is a pretty good place. Why'd you choose BYU and not the U? Oh, I've never even considered going to Utah. Honestly, <laughs> um, it just never has never even on my radar. It wasn't even um, close. No, and no one in my family even went to BYU. It's just uh, I just loved it growing up. And it's either I was either going to go to some Texas schools, um, just because at the time. If you like a graduate in the top 10%, your school is basically paid for. Um, so it's either, that was going to be a backup plan. I Honestly, I don't even apply to, to BYU. It's the only college I applied to, which looking back on it was not the smartest thing, but uh, they worked out perfect, though. Well, I'm going to put a plug in for Utah because my folks live outside of Ogden. And so, um, well, Utah is beautiful. Yeah, I love Utah. And oh, it's I, gorgeous. I was up in Logan about four. Two months ago, I'd never been up to Utah State, 
And um, you know, just, Utah is just a beautiful, beautiful state. It really is. The whole Salt Lake Valley is pretty, even even Provo. And and so I I I love it out there. It's really the mountains and everything are just a beautiful place. And I can just only imagine going to school there for four years. It must have been awesome. Even yeah. So I had to I had to explain why in my medical school interview why I re- repeated a class and I repeated my skiing class. And so I'd explain to them that I wanted to retake skiing just to retake skiing. Like, okay, I just had to check a box that I asked you. I was like, it's BYU, I'm in Utah, of course I had to repeat my skiing class. Well, see, that, that's the other thing people don't understand is that, like, in literally 30 minutes from my parents' living Burt room, you can be at Snowball or from Provo in about 45 minutes, you can be at Park City. So, I mean, it's like oh, for sure. skiing, you could literally, you could literally take your intramural skiing and be skiing at Park City if you wanted to probably. And still, yeah, I, it, it, it's amazing how close everything is in a concentrated area. Once you cross the, the Wasatch and get into the mountains a little bit. Yeah. So we, there's a, a, a mountain called Stone Mountain out in Georgia mm-hmm. and it's not a mountain at all. And uh, my kids get so excited talking about how, you know, the big mountains and stone mountains. I'm like, I'm, I've, done, I've done my kids a disservice. They've never actually seen mountains yet. So, well, I grew one up of the in, days we'll get back out there. I grew up in California, so that was the hardest transition I had to make coming to Appalachia was that they are mountains out here. They're just very old mountains, so they've been eroded over mm-hmm. time. And, and so when you go out and see all the volcanic mountains of the West and you realize how big and rugged and rocky they are, they're, they're really impressive. But, you know... It's just a difference, but I do miss, that's the one thing, Brian, I miss uh, since I moved uh, to the Midwest was I used to wake up every day and see Mount Shasta, and I was like, man, it, it just, it, when it's not there on the horizon, it, it gets your attention. When you're not aware of it, it, it really does change how you kind of look at things a little bit. Uh, and that and the clear sky, right? Because you can go out, especially in the Salt Lake Valley, and on any given day, it's usually pretty clear, and you can just see for 60, 70 miles, if you get any kind of height at all, you're, you could see forever. It's just amazing. It changes how you look at the world. You know, I, I think. Uh, the, other, the other night I, I took my daughter to go play pickleball. And so she stayed out much later than she normally does. And she's seven. And she looked up and saw, it's either Jupiter or Mars or something. And, and she was like, dad, look, a star. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the only star in the sky. And I was like, I don't even think that's a star. She's like, I wonder if we got close enough to get, if it actually looks like the shape of a star. And I was like, oh man. The poor kids have lived in a flat, polluted inner city for too long. Yeah. Well, show, you'll you'll change. You're going to be done soon. So that's a good question. Yeah. Did you like? It was just so we'll keep going. Did did you did you like medical school, Brian? I love medical school. How come? I really did. Um, so when we, like I said, part of it was choosing a location. Part of it too, we found Georgia was a new school, and I, I thought it'd be neat to be part of a school that was, so kind of, it still had the, the establishment of of an older school, but then was still young enough that I thought, you know, to change and grow with and stuff. Um, and so I just, <clears throat> I told my wife that really wherever we decided to go, that we were going to make the most of it. And when we, when we chose PCOM, um, I did, I mean, we, we got involved with everything I could ended up being like the, the DO council president and got to, you know, go all across the, uh, the nation and, and visit other schools and go to conferences and stuff. And, um, I just, I mean, I, I know there are kids who, who didn't have a great experience at, at medical school, and not in my particular, but just in general, just because it's, it's a hard balance of transitioning to learning medicine and balancing so much information. Um, and I feel like, I mean, obviously I did that, but then I came to realize that as much as medicine was part of my life, it wasn't my, it wasn't just my life. Like that wasn't all my life revolved around. And 
coming to that realization and realizing that like, I also had a balance in my family and church and, and other aspects of my life, um, which didn't, I didn't end up faltering in my studies at all. I just, it gave me a better perspective and, um, it just wasn't all consuming, I guess you could say. And so that, that gave me a different perspective and I just, everything I learned in medical school, I just, I don't know, started loving and it became a passion. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't school work anymore. Yeah. Um, it's, it is true too, that, uh, whether or not you're LDS and going on a mission for a couple of years, or you take a couple of years and go do something else, it does give you, maybe you'll disagree, but I don't think you will, but it gives you a different perspective when you come back to the academic environment. I think it probably makes you more focused and, and intent on getting through what you want to get through. Do you, do you agree with that? Oh, for sure. My, uh, my best friend in medical school was is my mom's age and she, we went to the same church and we just became I mean, we, we were running buddies and we'd work out together and we'd study the whole time together and she'd come over and have family dinners all the time. But she had always wanted to be a doctor growing up and then decided that she wanted to have kids first. And so her husband supported her going back to school a couple of years ago. She actually went to Utah. So I guess I can throw that out there for you. Oh, she's from the University U. Of Utah. She is. So oh. we, somehow we became best friends. That, yeah, um, that, yeah. Was that so hard? No, it was, it was a constant tease, but she didn't have much, she didn't have much ammo besides, unless it came to sports, she didn't have much ammo. Um, but yeah, so same thing. So she just, I mean, there'd be nights where, you know, we're studying and, and able to focus so much harder because, you know, she had her, her high school son was starting his, his first soccer game. Or, hmm. um, and, and in my school, we had a lot of non-traditional kids come through. Hmm. Um who done teach for America or who had gone off and you know, had other careers beforehand. So for yeah. sure, I think it definitely does. I am, uh, I'm completely, uh, I'm completely sold out on Ohio university, but um, if I had the opportunity and my wife wasn't an Appalachian and, and wedded to Southeast Ohio, I would have loved to have been at Liberty um, because I, I come from a Baptist tradition. And so I, um, even though I'm a Wesleyan now, but I, I would have loved to have been, for the same reason you said, to be at a new school when they first started out. Um, and I suppose the incarnate word would be like that or one of the mm-hmm. other newer DO schools. It would have been fun to kind of see how it all got sorted out. Um, but Liberty would have been my choice if I if it hadn't been OU, I'd have, I'd have chosen Liberty. Um, because of the, some of the things you talked about, it, it really is interesting to see how a school is put together, you know, when it starts. Um, that's pretty cool. So then as you went through medical school, it sounds like you had a pretty good experience. What, what started you thinking about becoming an ophthalmologist? Um, yeah, it's a great question. So mine's actually, I'll, I'll tell you, it's, it's a little bit different story than others. I knew that I loved surgery, um, hands down, even the first day in the, in the OR, I mean, first day in, in anatomy lab. And it's interesting looking back, you can tell I can look back and tell you all the kids who are, who are going to be surgeons someday um, just by those first couple of times in, in the anatomy lab because there's, there's just a certain group of people that just really enjoy surgery and love, love that aspect of it. Um, I grew up, my dad always, and we were always turning wrenches and building things. I think he, he built half the furniture in a house. And so I grew up building furniture and, and, and doing things with my hands. And so surgery just made sense to me. It, it was at that point is really just what kind of surgery I wanted to do. Um, and actually wanted to do, um, OB for, mm, I wanted to do anesthesiology all growing up. And, and then I, I decided that I enjoy doing surgery too much. Um, and wanted to be on the other side of the, of the sheet, but, uh, I wanted to do OB cause I thought OB had a, a really great mix between clinic and, um, and procedures and then developing a relationship with patients. And, you know, every, every 
lady I've ever talked to loves her OB, um, and, and has a great relationship with them. And so I really was really leaning towards that. And, uh, I, I got out started doing rotations and I just had some experiences where I feel like the doors were shut for certain reasons. Hmm. Uh, not any bad reasons, but for me, I just, I knew very early on, uh, it, my first rotation was with an OB. Um, I was super excited about it. And, uh, and, and even all the people that, that that doctor brought in to talk to me about OB just really made me see like, no, nah, maybe this actually isn't for me, which, which is not the case for, I mean, I have lots of friends who are, who are, who are OB guns and, and they love it. I just, for whatever reason, doors were shut and, and, uh, that made it very, very apparent to me that I was supposed to be an OB and that was totally okay. And so, um, my next, the next thing I really thought about the, the good mixture of all those things, uh, was ENT. And so I went through medical school the last uh, three, I guess my third and fourth year planning to do ENT and I'd done rotations in it and, and just fell in love with it. I thought it was a great, um, again, for the same reasons that, that people enjoy OB. And I was out here on a rotation in, um, here in San Antonio and I just doing an ENT rotation and I absolutely loved ENT, or San Antonio. Sorry, I, I did like ENT a lot, uh, but I loved San Antonio and I knew that like I really wanted to be here in San Antonio. And I was having an interview with um, with the program director out here and he had asked about backup plans. He's like, I want to make sure that all you kids interviewing, I think there were like 10 of us for seven spots or something. Hmm. Um, he's like, I want to make sure you, you guys each have a, a solid backup plan. I'll be like, well, sir, I want to, I really want to ENT. Like I want to reapply if I don't. He's like, well, you know, we don't actually take reapplicants um, just because we have enough good kids apply every year. He's like, have you ever thought of ophthalmology? And I was like, nope, not at all. Like, I have no desire to do ophthalmology. And, uh, and so he turned around and he starts clanking on the keyboard. He's like, let me, he's like, why don't you go down there and talk to the, the ophthalmology program director? He's like, here, you have an extra copy of your CV. Why don't you head down there and go talk to him and introduce yourself say hi. And, uh, the whole time I'm thinking, I do not want to do ophthalmology. I know nothing about the eyeball. Absolutely nothing. Um, but that email was sent. And so I just kind of drug my feet walking down the ophthalmology clinic, scared to death. I knew nothing about it. And, um, and I've given, I've talked, I've told the story before to, to groups of, of DO students just about the importance of always having your CV um, ready to go and mm-hmm. um, and to have a good CV. So like I said, because I was DO council president, got to all these conferences and been able to present stuff and got really involved. Like my CV looked good, like probably better. My CV probably looked better than, than, than me as an applicant. But uh, I went down there and met the, the ophthalmology program department, uh, program director, and he's a really nice guy. Um, and it's interesting learning about how all these program directors know each other and, and the communication they have with each other. And, uh, he hadn't even read the email yet, but he's like, you know, who are you? <laughs> I was like, uh, I just wanted to come say hi to you and introduce myself. And he was a really nice guy. And, and I remember walking through the, the clinic, just seeing all the machines and all the, the tools and everything ophthalmologists use. And I just like, was so out of my element, so insecure, kind of just thinking like, I've never, I would never be smart enough to be one of these guys. Hmm. And, um, and the program director was very honest. He's like, you know, we want kids who are very serious ophthalmology. And, and I was like, I'm not like hundred percent. I'm like, I want to do ENT, I said, but if you need me to be, I'll be the best ophthalmologist I can be. You know, I'll, I'll just like in medical school, medical school, wherever I go, I'll make the most of it and be happy. And, uh, and then I walked out of the room thinking, well, it's kind of, all right, well, let's see how that goes. And then the assistant program director at the time was actually went to BYU too. And he was like, He's like, oh, you're going to do ophthalmology? I was like, no, I'm not, sir. I'm going to do ENT. He's like, no, no, you should do ophthalmology. And uh, and I guess, come to find out, they really didn't have very many Army applicants my year, which is kind of weird. 
Um, and, uh, and so again, I knew I really wanted to be in San Antonio to the point where my ideal rank list was at that point was ENT in San Antonio for number one and then ophthalmology number two. Um, but I didn't actually rank it that way because I thought I had to rank all five ophthalmology or ENT for or all four ENT spots in ophthalmology. So it's actually ophthalmology is my, my fifth choice. Um, and I knew the whole time, and, and we've talked about this being a religious background. Like I knew that, uh, that, that whatever was going to happen was supposed to happen and that it was going to be okay. And it wasn't going to be what I expected it to be. And, and it was really hard to kind of explain that to my wife and to, to like, you know, my mom or my in-laws who are like, Oh no, you're, you know, everyone tells you, Oh, you're great. You're going to get exactly what you want. I'm like, no, nah, like I, I'm not, but it's going to be okay. Cause I, I know it's going to be okay. I just don't know what it is. And, uh, and the army needed me as an ophthalmologist. And so we opened that email at midnight. And I just, I just sat up in bed with my wife and I just started laughing thinking, all right, well, I'm going to be an ophthalmologist and I guess I'm going to love it. And, uh, and I have like every, yeah, every, every, every day going to work since then has just been such a blessing. And so it's a little bit different story. I know that's not the, that's not the typical, um, route at all. Someone who doesn't apply to, to something or bar- kind of barely applies, got into something. But, uh, I think more, more of that, the moral of that story is just, the army needs you they'll put you and i think if you have the right attitude uh, i think you make anything happen with it so brian the thing is is that i'm an unapologetic evangelical christian and so i understand that completely and one of the things i've told people over the years which i wish i'd had the maturity you did you have at your age when i was younger because i didn't see it that way i was like a lot of medical students say well if i don't get my first choice then life is it's just it's just blown right in all my mm-hmm. deployments, I've told people this over and over again, every deployment I wanted to go on turned out to be awful. But every deployment that just sort of showed up and said, hey, we need someone to help. Do you want to go? I'm like, yeah, I really don't want to go to that part of the world or that, 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 that place, but I'll go do it. It turned out to be awesome. And it opened up these sort of weird little serendipity doors where you get to you meet someone or that connection starts over here. You would have never had that opportunity had you not just said, yeah, I'll go. And, you know, when you think about that, that, that probably, again, you're not bigger than the, the powers that control your life. And if there's a path and a destiny for you, it's easier just to kind of go like the water and flow around the stone and just, you know, just kind of make your way through and just kind of take it easy as you go. And, and it doesn't mean you're, you're not devoted. Like you say, you'll be the best ophthalmologist you can be if that's what you got to be. But now, isn't that weird how that works? And I wish more students could see it that way instead of the pressure that is built on them. If I don't get into surgery, my life's over. If I don't get to be this kind of, you know, medicine person, I'm, my life is over as opposed to, you don't know what, what's going to happen. You know, you don't know what's going to happen. And it could be the best thing that ever happened to you that you could imagine or even better, right? I wish we could train that, you know. So I want to end the first segment about, we've talked about the Army and the military in San Antonio, and you're talking about Joint Base uh, uh, Sam Houston, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so maybe it's a good idea to talk to people about why you're in the military and how that started. Then we'll we'll go on to the more ophthalmological specific questions. So why don't you tell us about Army? Absolutely. So when I was a little kid, I, I... wanted to fly airplanes. That was my, my goal in life was to, to be an airplane pilot. Um, mm. and I have a, a flight just so you know, liner. let me interrupt you, Brian. My very yes, good sir. friend who is an ophthalmologist has an airplane. He has a really nice airplane, much more of an airplane uh, than that. I have. Yeah. So don't worry. You can still fly airplanes. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah. Well, so, so I remember being at the optometrist and the first, 
the thing he said when they did a little colorblindness test was, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? He's like, oh, I want to be a pilot. He's like, you can't do that. You're colorblind. And I was like, well, there goes my entire future. And so I, I guess I turned over to my mom and, and uh, she was like, well, what are you going to do now? I'm like, I don't know. Who makes the most money? And I was like, she's like, doctors. And I was like, well, she's like, what kind of doctor do you want to be? I was like, I don't know who makes the most money. And she's like, I think she's like anesthesiologist. I think I was like, all right, I'll be an anesthesiologist. So at the age of seven, I learned how to spell anesthesiologist and that's what I wanted to be. Um, but always, there's always like this desire. I mean, growing up in Texas, my, my, my ancestors settled Texas. And so, you know, my great, great granddaddy and all of his daddies were all sheriffs of small towns. And so I've always had like this, this love for my country and love for my, my state. Um, and so I definitely always wanted to somehow serve in the military. But then when, uh, when I thought as a kid, you know, that was down the drain, um, and I thought, well, I'll be a doctor. And uh, when I was at BYU, I met the, an army recruiter who came by and was talking about, and I had no idea that HVSP existed. I had no idea that, that the army needed doctors. I, don't, I didn't, didn't know anything about the process. And no one in my family had gone before me and, and done any of that, so it was a new thing. Um, and I told him, I was like, oh, I'm just like colorblind. He's like, he's like, how slight? And I was like, what's and barely. He's like, we don't care about that. We would love to have you in the army. And I was like, what? And so, I mean, it made complete sense that if I could do the, if I could be a doctor, what I've always wanted to be, and to serve the military, like hands down, I would do it. And luckily, I found the most perfect person in the world um, who grew up in the army, or an army brat, and was completely supportive of it. And so it's it's been an honor ever since. Um, her dad is a retired colonel. He's a artillery officer back in the day, and uh, so she comes from a very strong patriotic family. And um, it's just. Yeah, it's been such a blessing um, to know that I, I get to put on the uniform and, uh, and serve my country like I've always wanted. Um, I think it's also, and I, I used to talk to kids in my medical school about this all the time. I, I think it's it's such a blessing for us um, to be able to serve, but also I think I think the Army has a lot to offer as when it comes to training environments mm. and, uh, and just like setting up for your future. Whether you want to just pay your, you know, do your loan repayment and get out. I think, I mean, if there's nothing wrong with that, I think that's a, it's still a noble thing you, you've done for several years. And um, smart. Or if you decide to make your, make a career. Oh, absolutely. And absolutely. smart. Very smart. Keep going, and, bro. Um, oh yeah, no, no. I think, I think either, either one of those options is a great option. So I, I try to get as many people as I could in medical school to, to see the light and uh, one or two of them did. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, like you said, it just opened so many doors up. And I've had a lot of good discussions with, with the Army National Guard. Um, no, sorry, he's the sorry, he's the reservist consultant within ophthalmology. He's, he's kind of become one of my mentors, one of my good friends. And we have discussions all the time about how, um, even though I'm an ophthalmologist, I'm an Army officer, and he always is talking about different career paths and different options. Like you said, to, you know, to raise your hand and go be, you know, a company commander for something, or it could be, I mean, or it could be a, um, you know, brigade surgeon for different things. And just how there's so many different opportunities to serve within the army. I'm not sure if that answered your question very well. No, it, it answered it well. Just to, just for people listening, HPSB health profession scholarship program. And that's an active yeah. duty program that takes young people uh, through medical school, pays their medical school costs, and then they owe them a time commitment. What is your six years, Brant? It's, it's four years. It's so four if, years. If you didn't do any ROTC beforehand or have any other military commitment, um, it's basically the length of your residency is the best way to, to think about it. So what, four-year residency, so all, all four years. What about your undergraduate education? So, no, I didn't 
Well, there is an ROTC program separate from HPSB, so you can. Well, I'm saying undergraduate medical program is what I'm saying. So your undergraduate program in medical school, your 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 pre-doctoral program, which oh, is HPSP covered that, right? Yes, medical school, right? Yes, about? and you owe them four years for that. Yes, I do. To be served after your residency. After my residency, absolutely. Do you owe anything for the residency? No. So it. So technically, you do. Um, you owe an additional four years, but the payback is a two to one. So for every year I pay, I pay back after residency. It counts for one year medical school and one year residency. Really? With a with a minimum of four years. So if if I did family medicine, for example, if I did four years of medical school, um, I owe them four years. And if I did a three year medical or a three year family medicine practice or medicine family medicine residency, mm-hmm. then I still owe them four years because it's. Um, because I owe them the four years from medical school. If I did a four-year residency, then I owe them four years when I get out. And then the only difference is if you had, did a five-year program, some of the general medicine have a research year added in, mm-hmm. then instead of owing them four years for your five-year residency, you actually owe them five years after, after residency. So, Brian, is your is ophthalmology for you four or five years? It is four years. So it's a transition year and then three years. Uh huh. So, so here's the thing. That's the the, the, the tricky thing. You, you'll have a total uh, time in service because you were in the service for four years of medical school, four years of residency, and an additional four years after that. So you'll have twelve years in service, which means in eight years you, you qualify for retirement. And so actually, yeah. so actually, my four years of medical school don't count towards my retirement. And so I'll they actually don't have eight years in. Well, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. You were a commissioned officer during medical school. I was, but it was the, during the, that's called the individual ready reserve. And those, those years don't count towards. Oh, cause you didn't get points. I see. Exactly. But so they count if, towards, if to, they count towards time, time and grade. They don't actually either. They don't? Um, the, so the only one that counts is, is those students who went to USIS and, and have their medical school paid through USIS. Same thing. It doesn't count towards time and grade. And it doesn't count towards retirement unless they hit 20 years. So if they hit 20 years, then then they get that automatically becomes 24 years for those guys. What a, but, uh, for HSB, it doesn't count. That sounds like an AMOPS advocacy thing. Well, because they're active duty the entire time. Yeah, whatever. Technically, so they get active. Duty they're going pay. to medical school. They get, they're wearing a yes, uniform. They're, they're going to medical mm-hmm. school. Right? Yeah. I mean, most of the most of the military's physicians are not USU's grads. I, I think it's kind of goofy. That's a disparity that should be dealt with. But uh, but so you did have medical school paid for. You're, you're now getting yep. paid as a, you should be captain promotable by now or pretty close, right? Pretty close. So, so captain, I think after my first year out, um, it's more captain promotable. So yeah, it's probably end of next year. Are you doing okay as a captain in the Army right now? I have four kids. Mm-hmm. Um and we are pretty happy. We, we sure are. Yeah. There's, there's, I mean, I'm still able to like, so we have no debt, um, which is a huge financial blessing. Obviously we're also just being smart, you know, all through medical school, um, living like a, a poor medical student and, and loving it and then being smart and prudent during residency. So we have, we have no debt and, uh, we have four kids and I'm still able to like, you know, max out my IRA and max out other stuff. So I think it's, it's complete. I mean, it's, it, yeah, Mrs. Giles, stay-at-home mom, or is she working outside the home too? She is. No, she's staying at home. Mm-hmm. So stay-at-home mom, working on captain's pay, doing okay with four kids. 
Oh yeah. See, this okay. is the and thing. We were, honestly, we talked about this, but we were, as a medical student, I think we were only making like, I don't know, 50,000, I think. Yep. Uh, which is still much, much more than not having anything as a medical student, but we were so happy making $50,000 a year mm-hmm. that we had decided, you know what, like when we start making more money, let's just continue living this lifestyle. Like there's nothing, money's not gonna make us any happier than we are right now. Mm-hmm. It'll make things a little more comfortable, but we're never happier than we are right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've kind of taken that philosophy and we, we, same thing, like we're, we make much more, but we, we act like we still make $50,000. Um, and next year when I make a lot more, like I'm still gonna act like I make $50,000. I, I still call her every now and then asking her if I can go to Taco Bell and get a burrito. And she just laughs. Are you and living in on-post like, housing? Yeah, no, but we just moved on on-post. The first three years we had a house and uh, we decided we wanted to be closer to base because I'm a, uh, yeah. this is my chief here and I uh, just want to be closer to the hospital in case anybody ever needed me. Yeah. And I was tired of driving. So yeah, we live on base and we absolutely love it. See, this is the thing, and it it, it, it's, it has it has to do with all aspects. People just don't understand how the military actually operates. I've tried to tell them, look, if you're a military medical person, your life is not a horrible thing. Like, there's a lot of great advantages to this, and not the least of which is no school debt. And then the just, you know, all the things you count up and that you make, you're getting paid and you don't have debt and you can live, uh, have a reasonably comfortable life through residency and not just be struggling all the time trying to moonlight or find your way to make more money and pay. This. There's so many advantages. And the weird thing is, Brian, is I get all these kids that want to be Air Force and Navy people. And I tell them, do you understand the largest medical, the, the, the largest medical corps in the, in this DOD is the Army. Like there are more opportunities in Army medicine than you'll ever have in any of the other services. And yet they're drawn, and I don't blame them. I mean, some of them have family connections to one of the services and that's the world they know. But there's this sort of um, uh, marketing thing going on where the Army or the Air Force and the Navy have convinced them that their lives are better if they're Air Force or Navy doctors. And I'm like, "Um, I don't know. I don't think that's true. Like, I think being an Army doctor is a pretty awesome thing, to be honest. I really do. I, and again, leadership, command, and that's really important as you get older. Like, I do mostly administrative medicine as my job now in the, in the military, which I'll be honest with you. I mean, I've seen thousands and thousands of patients. It's nice to, to do policy and try to make lives better for junior doctors and help them out of all the things I've learned about, wow, maybe I can make their lives suck less. You know what I mean? So now when you get in those leadership positions, you have a little bit of power and authority to sort of shape that. That's kind of a season of your career, which is nice in the military because you get there if you stick around long enough. Yeah, you'll get there. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, listen, we're we're we're, we're we got to close the first segment. How's that? Is that okay? Sounds good. You want to come back in the next one and talk about some ophthalmology specifically? Sure. Let's do it. Since we pumped up the military as a career option. That's right. Okay. Well, for those of you listening, I hope you've enjoyed the introduction to Brian Giles, Dio. who is talking about ophthalmology. And as always, please, you know, you'll hear the outro and you'll know where to send your comments. And if you have specific comments, I'm sure if I ever asked Brian, he'd, he'd, be, he'd be happy to answer other questions about what he does if we don't cover them. And I hope you have a great day. I hope you enjoy your week. And then uh, hopefully we'll listen to the second segment next week if we get it edited and Brian will be back with us on Rotations.
Interpretations is the periodic podcast of all things medicine and science as part of the media and medicine family of medical storytelling. The opinions and comments expressed on Rotations do not reflect the official or unofficial positions of the state of Ohio, the state of West Virginia, the Department of Defense, or any of its agencies, Ohio University, the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, or the Scripps College of Communication, or any of the agencies associated with these entities. The guests on Rotations are interviewed in an unopposed fashion so that their ideas and opinions can be freely expressed. Rotations is produced, hosted, and edited by Todd Fredericks. Rotations is sometimes co-hosted by a league of champions of all things medical and a few people we pull off the streets. Rotations is copyrighted, and while we welcome citations, tweets, Facebook likes, and other endorsements via word of mouth and social media, we reserve the right to all content. You may use Rotations content under the provisions of Creative Commons, but cannot alter or edit the content in any manner without the express permission of the content creators, and you must cite Rotations as a source of any content derived from the podcast. We welcome any comments, and you can contact us by tweeting us at Medical Cinema or by contacting me, Todd Fredericks, T.R. Fredericks, at MeWe. If you comment, please be nice. I have sensitive feelings, so embrace your inner non-hater. And finally, I would always acknowledge that Rotations was founded and created by Nisarg Bakshi, Brian Plow, and Todd Fredericks, all of whom have various intermittent input in the production of Rotations. And we ask always that you consider we want it to be the best product that we can give to you. So please tweet, uh, retweet us, post us on your favorite social media platform, send us feedback, ask people to participate in Rotations. We would be grateful for that. It will improve our content and make it a better experience for you. Take care.